You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, Spot On listeners. I'm once again excited about this episode. It may not starting out to be what you think the most happy. We're going to be talking about foodborne illness, better known as food poisoning. And I know it doesn't sound good, but boy, when you hear some of the things you can do to prevent it, you're going to be trying to take notes. So I wanted to do this because I found out from the CDC that they estimate that 48 million people get sick. And 128,000 are hospitalized, and unfortunately, about 3,000 people die each year from food poisoning. That's wild to me, especially when it probably can be prevented. And I don't know about you, but I have had food poisoning, and trust me, it is not a day at the beach. It is unbelievable. So I brought on a special guest today to talk about it and how you can avoid it or reduce your risk of getting food poisoning. But before we get her on to our episode here, let's go to the street. Let's ask, how does the fear of food poisoning affect their food choices? I've had food poisoning a few times before, so I am more cautious, especially when dining out. So I would prefer to cook my own food because then I would know exactly how it is prepared. The only time I have a fear of food poisoning is when I go to countries I am not around or are from, like when I'm traveling, and you have street food. That's the only time it affects my food choices is if it's a street food vendor, I generally will not eat or try any of that street food because I'm afraid of food poisoning. When I buy groceries, I usually separate the packaged meat from the rest of the other foods to prevent contamination. I also don't eat raw vegetables as often. Instead, I wash my vegetables a few times, even though it said pre-washed, and then I would cook them up to eat. The fear of food poisoning will probably make someone prepare their own food as opposed to someone being unclean and contaminate or mishandle their food. And not being able to have control over that will make them stay at home and make a meal for themselves. A lot of times people get food poisoning from going to a restaurant or somewhere else that prepares their food for them. Okay, so today on Spot On, I brought in the expert, Dr. Caitlin Dow. She has a PhD. She got her master's and her PhD from the Nutritional Science Program in the University of Arizona. And she did a postdoctoral fellowship in vascular biology in the University of Colorado. I bet that was a piece of cake. She also writes for the Center for Science and the Public Interest, their health letter, Nutrition Action. And this is a great health letter. And we've had another expert on Spot On that actually writes for that too. And I found this because Dr. Caitlin here wrote this fabulous article about food poisoning. And even I was stumped on a few of those, which made me upset. But now I'm glad I'm knowledgeable. So 
Dr. Caitlin Dow, welcome to Spot On. Thanks for having me. I-, I wish you were coming on on a better topic, my dear. But you know something? Let's get the word out, okay? Food poisoning. Let me tell you, I disclose that I've had it. Have you ever had food poisoning? Um, somehow I have managed to escape food poisoning. So I feel pretty fortunate on that. Oh, Dr. Caitlin. Oh, Dr. Caitlin. I would rather be in labor. I'm not kidding you. Because when you're in labor, you know that it's got to end sometime. When you have food poisoning and you're like, oh, the side effects coming, you just think, this is it. It's over. You know, or, or you think, when is this going to end? It is unbelievable. And that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to do this, because I'll never do that again. And gosh, if I can save one other person for not having to go through that, it would be a good thing. I'll be a good doobie. So you wrote this article, and we are going to put this article up on the Spot On Facebook page so you can read it more in depth. But she wrote this great article about these myths. And this is so true because we have, you know, myths about what we should do to reduce our risk of foodborne illness. But you know something? A lot of them, these myths, we do, and they're wrong. So let's start with the first one you wrote about, which is definitely one that we all do, the sniff test. So can you smell, Dr. Caitlin, if like a food has gone bad to the point where it's going to give you food poisoning? I wish we could, but no, you can't. So yeah, we've all done this, right? You take a whiff of something in your fridge and decide whether or not you're going to take the gamble on it. But the bacteria that cause your food to be stinky or slimy are not the ones that make you sick. So those are called spoilage bacteria. They grow at refrigerator temps and they may make your stomach turn, but they don't cause true food poisoning. Instead, it's bacteria like Salmonella, Clostridium, and certain strains of E. coli. Those really grow at room temperature and they can make you incredibly sick, but you can't detect them with your senses. You know, what I got sick on was cheesecake. And let me tell you, I lapped up that entire slice of cheesecake. I thought it was the delicious thing I ever had. And let me tell you, I haven't had cheesecake in two decades. There was nothing wrong with this cheesecake. Dates are fine to me. Well, it didn't afterwards. But you're right. So there was no, like, I didn't get a bad odor to it or anything. So that's really, really interesting. So you got to be very careful, I would assume, of how you store your food in the refrigerator and probably make sure that cold things should stay cold and hot things should stay hot, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. I think we'll be talking about this later, but really what you want to do is avoid something called the food safety danger zone. It's between 40 degrees and 140 degrees Fahrenheit. You don't want your food within that danger zone for more than two hours. So that's what can happen sometimes if food isn't stored properly, is it spends too much time in that danger zone, and then these bacteria can really thrive. Yeah, and let's face it, smack in the middle of the danger zone is room temperature, right? Exactly. So 40 degrees is that your refrigerator should be at 40 degrees or lower. So you have to keep it cold. And if it's hot, it's going to be above, you said 140. So in other words, if you're at a buffet, you make sure that it's not been sitting out for two hours or it has a flame underneath. It's one of those hot pot things where it keeps it above 140. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So room temperature is not our friend here. So if you can't sniff it, you can't smell it, should we go by those best buy dates? I mean, the expiration dates on the packages. Can you explain what those are? I think this is maybe my favorite myth and it's the most common misconception that when you see a date on a label, that means the food is quote unquote expired, but that's not really what it means. First of all, food doesn't actually expire in the way that we think that it does based off of those labels. What those dates mean 
are really just the manufacturer's best guess about how long a food will taste freshest. And then after that, the quality gradually declines. So it's not like you hit this date and then all of a sudden the food is bad. That's not what that means. And actually most foods would become pretty gross before they would be unsafe to eat if they are stored properly. So again, it's that spoilage bacteria. Isn't the USDA doing something about this date, I call it the dating game, because it's like a gazillion, you know, best buy, used buy, call your mother buy. I mean, it's like a crazy amount of, of different versions on the label. So aren't they working on something to keep it down to two? Yeah, yeah. So hopefully this will get passed soon. It's something that Congress is considering, the Food Date Labeling Act. It's come up a few different times, but it hasn't been voted on. And what they're considering for that is two labels that would be required. One would be best if used by, and that's really just about the quality. And then the used by label is meant to be about whether the food is safe. A lot of companies have already started using these, but it's not mandated. Right. I hope everybody gets up a because, you know, that causes a lot of food waste. I have you know, so many neighbors that say, oh, look, it's past the day I'm throwing the yogurt out. I'm like, no, don't throw the yogurt out. You know, so it's, it's really, it causes food waste, which is another whole episode on itself. So you had myth, I love this myth, myth number three, reheating leftovers kills bacterial toxins. I thought that heating kills. You know, this was a real uh, learning experience for me too, because I didn't know this until I started working on this article either. But yeah, what happens, so when we leave leftovers out, it's this perfect environment for bacteria to thrive. Again, it's in that food safety danger zone between 40 and 140 mm-hmm. uh, Fahrenheit, and bacteria can double in as little as 20 minutes at that temperature. So bacteria really thrives. And so, you know, if we've done that, maybe we've had some people over and then we go ahead and put the food in the refrigerator a few hours later and think to ourselves, okay, well, I'll reheat it. Whatever has grown will be fine or will get killed off. And so really what happens is that those bacteria may die, but the toxins that they produce do not get destroyed by heat. Wow. That's really interesting. So like how many times you should be have reheating leftovers then? Because I always thought like it would kill it. It's okay to reheat leftovers you know, over and over again, as long as the leftovers aren't sitting out on the counter for more than two hours. You know, if you take it out of the fridge, reheat it, and then put it back in the fridge, as long as the food itself is less than two inches thick, that's kind of the rule of thumb in order for food to chill quick right. enough. If it's in beyond two hours at room temperature, like you're at a barbecue or something, don't assume like, oh, it's okay because I'm going to reheat it. Exactly. Yeah. You really want to put those things in the refrigerator quickly to avoid food waste and to avoid food poisoning. Right. Okay. So if it's two inches thick, we don't want a big lasagna in there. We want it to go cool down. So maybe break it up so it can cool down quicker. Exactly. Yep. All right. I'm going to call my mother tonight and tell her about the lasagna. <laughs> All right, this one, I love this one, and I am bad about this. I am bad, bad, bad. Here we go. Myth number four, sanitize sponges when they start to smell. That seems like a perfect cue for me, Dr. Caitlin. What's the story on that? Yeah, so if your sponge is already smelly, it might be time to get rid of it. So a moist sponge that isn't sanitized daily or replaced often can harbor bacteria and germs that can make you sick. So, you know, maybe we think of cleaning our sponge that we just rinse it out and that's cleaning it, but you're not sanitizing it that way. And there was this survey that found that 86% of sponges in Michigan households had yeast and mold. 77% of them had 
coliform bacteria and 18% had staph bacteria. That's not what you want, you know, that you're cleaning your dishes with. How often should we toss it? So sponges, they, no matter how you slice it, they have a really short lifespan. So they should be sanitized pretty much every day, every day that you use them. Um, and to do that, you can microwave a damp sponge for about two minutes. And uh, emphasis on the damp, if you put a dry sponge in the microwave, it, it can catch on fire. And yeah, other than that, they should be tossed about every two weeks. No. Okay. I have my children are younger than these thumbs. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, this is just, I have to go downstairs and get rid of these. I, because I want to tell you, I'm not all bad. Because what I do is I soak them in bleach, a diluted bleach solution. But you know something? I should just be tossing them. I mean, I, I'm going to do that too. But I, hello, you know, how much is a sponge? 50 cents? Let's get a new sponge. I got it. I'm on that. Another myth that you said that unsafe foods only affect your GI tract, and I found this fascinating. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic, and I'm hoping we see a lot more research on this. But what some researchers have found is the link between bacteria and food that may also cause urinary tract infections or UTIs. So we think some of the bacteria that cause UTIs are actually coming from animal foods, particularly poultry. Mm. We don't know for sure exactly if this is happening, but one theory of how it could be happening is that people may touch kitchen counters, utensils, or their hands after touching raw poultry or meat, and the bacteria could end up on a salad or raw food that they eat, and then it, it can make its way through the digestive tract and then out, sort of, and uh, cause a UTI. Whoa. Definitely food poisoning is not something I enjoy, and then definitely UTIs are not something that are enjoyable either. That is really, really interesting. I can't wait to see more research come on in that. Another myth that you said is Hand sanitizers kills all germs. You said that's a myth. Yeah, we always see on uh, labels, you know, kills 99.99% of germs. It's possible that a lot of those germs are the harmless ones, and it's the ones that are harmful aren't getting killed. And so what we know is that alcohol-based hand sanitizers won't kill bugs like the parasite Cryptosporidium. Mm. They also uh, don't kill Clostridium difficile or C. diff, mm. which can cause a life-threatening diarrhea. And perhaps the most common cause of foodborne illness, which is norovirus, hand sanitizers cannot kill norovirus. And norovirus is responsible for 19 to 21 million foodborne illness sicknesses each year. So really, this whole sanitizing thing, hand sanitizing, I mean, it's good in a pinch, but it doesn't beat soap and water under you know, running water, right? That's correct. Yeah. Hand washing is definitely your better bet for avoiding foodborne illnesses. That's really important for people to know because they'll say, ah, you you know, sometimes they'll get, go into a restaurant and they'll see the sanit, you know, the dispenser, and they'll they'll just rub their hands with it rather than going to the restroom and washing the hands before they sit down to eat. And so that's a great point. In other words, don't rely on that. Go wash your hands first before you start to eat, which you should do at home or in your apartment or whatever. But that's very, very interesting. I, I really didn't know that. So that's really, really good. The other myth, that, oh my goodness, this is really interesting. You said eating raw dough is fine if you make it with pasteurized eggs. Why is that a myth? 
Yeah, so, you know, when we think about raw dough and the foodborne illnesses associated with it, we always think that it's the eggs. And so somebody might say like, oh, I made it with pasteurized eggs, I can eat the dough. But that's not the case. It's not just the eggs that can get you. So it's contaminated raw flour is also a problem. In two recent outbreaks, it sickened 84 people with a certain type of E. coli. And that's interesting because you don't think of flour as being a source of foodborne illness. So the bacteria most likely got into the flour in the field or during processing. Interesting. Okay, so they processed the the flour. Everything is great. And then somehow there was cross-contamination, like maybe one is being packaged or, or whatever. So now the E. coli is in the flour. And so you say, I can eat the cookie dough batter, which of course, you know, because I'm making with pasteurized eggs, but you're saying, ah, 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 because the flour could be the source of the contamination. Exactly. And so once you bake the flour, then that kills off the E. coli. You don't have to worry about it at that point. So it's not cooked flour that is the problem. It's just raw flour. You know, Dr. Caitlin, with the amount of Tall House cookie raw dough that I ate as a child, I'm surprised I'm still alive. <laughs> Actually, it's the highlight of my childhood, but I'm, I'm surprised that I'm alive here. I think what was fascinating about this article, and again, we're going to put this up on the spot on Facebook page, it's not what you think is causing it. I mean, you know, oldies but goodies, you got to refrigerate things as such, but you, there's a lot of things you weren't looking at around you that were really harboring these bacteria or viruses, the sponges, you know, not washing your hands and stuff. So I found this absolutely fascinating. So if you had to do three things to help you to, to like reduce foodborne illness or help the public do that? What are your top three things? So the first thing is to remember that the date on most food labels refers to quality, not safety. You should respect the dates on prepared foods, deli meats, and smoked fish because there's a specific type of bacteria that can grow in those foods at refrigerator temperatures. But other than that, just because your yogurt or your milk has hit the date on its label, there's no reason to toss it. The second thing that I think is important is to remember that the bacteria that make you sick are not the ones that make your food look or smell nasty. So don't rely on your eyes or nose to tell you if a food is going to give you food poisoning. And then the third thing that I want every kitchen to change is that sponges get gross quickly. So if you've had one for months, it's time to make some changes. You need to sanitize them daily and toss them every couple of weeks. Otherwise, you could use a dish brush to use on dishes and dishcloths to use on your kitchen surfaces. And then those can be cleaned either in bleach or in the washing machine. Wow. All right. One, two, three. Those are three great things. And I hope that they can help prevent anybody from getting foodborne illness. And um, as soon as I end this episode, I'm throwing out the sponges and I'm going to Costco and getting all these new sponges. So I have them on hand. So with that, I want to thank Dr. Caitlin Dow for coming on Spot On. Thank you so much for having me. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. 
And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salji Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you?